When it comes to hitting, there's only one man for the job, and his name is 47. The Hitman franchise has come a long way in the last 22 years, and in a lot of ways, it's a real testament to the changes the entire gaming landscape has undergone in the last two decades. On this episode, we're digging into the World of Assassination trilogy, which started with 2016's aptly named Hitman. What makes the Hitman series so unique? How has it changed since its inception? What's the best way to separate a human being from the mortal coil? I'm Jordan Walkup, and here to help me answer these questions and many more are my brothers. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And now, let's get into it. Hitman. Yeah. I feel like I've said this with like three different series now, but like this is one that intrigued me when I was younger, but felt too intimidating for me to play like at the ages when they first released because they released in like 2000 to 2006 or something to that effect. So I was like six to 12 years old. (laughs) which was just a little too young to try these games. But I had a whole bunch of friends that were so into these games. <laughs> like, I had a friend where, like, swore by this is, like, his favorite video game series by far, and nothing else even came close. But I was always just a little bit too apprehensive to actually dig into it. Yeah, I kind of mirror that. I was always really intrigued by them um, whenever I saw them. But it, it was one of those things where, like, I don't remember ever seeing a copy of these games in stores. I didn't really have any friends that talked about them until high school. And by then, like, I just kind of already decided, like, eh, I don't know. Hitman doesn't really seem like it's a game for me. But then I started playing Hitman. Uh, or, like, I played Hitman Absolution, and that kind of cemented a lot of my feelings about not being a fan. <laughs> Jackson, was Hitman even, like, on your radar prior to, you know, the new trilogy? I don't even think I heard of the new trilogy until close to Hitman 3 coming out. (laughs) Uh, It's weird because, you know, there were a lot of people that really, really loved the first three games. I'm I'm double-checking the years now. Yes, it was 2000 to 2006. And, like, you had these games that felt sort of like scandalous like they weren't as obscene as like your grand theft autos and things like that but they were more brutal the hitman games sort of played themselves up as being like hyper violent in an unforgiving way and like it took itself very very seriously and the first time i ever actually played these games was after absolution came out and i was on a trip with some friends and you know, they were basically like it had just released uh, like the same week we went on this trip. So they were way into it, played it like a ton, but had a lot of issues and complaints and some weird quirks about the game. So we randomly went back and started doing missions from like the first three games, which 
I think we might have even actually played them on a PS2. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed what I played of Blood Money. And uh, it kind of made me think like, oh yeah, I need to give the Hitman games an honest shot with this new trilogy. But then Hitman 1 released episodically, which was already really not my kind of thing to begin with. And then only had like middling reviews anyways. So I really wrote these games off, but now looking back, I realize I definitely should not have. I remember picking up Hitman, like the the first game in the new trilogy, when it came out, and playing a little bit of the first level, maybe the first two levels, and just never really like clicking with it. And then when Hitman 2 came out, I had friends who were like super into it. But then Hitman 3 came out, and we tried doing, (laughs) we did like a stream of it, Going into our game of the year thing earlier this year. Yeah, and I was really bad at it because <laughs> I, was, I was basically <laughs> just trying to like jump into it after not having played any Hitman game for a long time. Like I'm pretty sure I spent <laughs> yeah. like two hours on that first mission, um, which I mean, like spending an hour on a Hitman mission the first time you play, it's not crazy. That's pretty much to be expected. But I, well, I think I spent like two hours on it. Like, it was just insane, and it was so boring, and just me restarting over and over, because I, I just couldn't get into the right headspace for it. It's weird, because it fits into the sandbox category, which are normally very welcoming and open games that give you a ton of options. And this game does that, but it's also very mechanically complex, and you need to sort of understand a very specific type of logic like specific video game logic to be any good at it and it takes a couple hours for things to click but once it does you really feel like you can do anything within this game which is really cool yeah it's a world where nobody responds to a pool of blood in the middle of the floor but if they see (laughs) a gun sitting on the floor they immediately go and get the police yeah or they just put it in a box There are definitely some creative ideas behind how they think civilians would react to violence. (laughs) Jackson, you're, you're totally new to this, so you don't really have the older games to, to sort of give a bias to what you think they are. So I want to hear your explanation. What is Hitman? (laughs) It kind of depends on the way you play it, honestly. See, I feel like the right thing to call this game is a stealth game. It's, it's a lot more than that. I think I think the way uh, Jason described it when we were on stream last week was that's more of a puzzle game. It's more about finding out how to take the approach to taking out your target and whatever other objective you have than it is just about being stealthy. Stealthy stealth is a way of achieving your goals in a mission, not what you like, not what your main goal is. Yeah, and it, it's like a lot more forgiving than something like Metal Gear Solid, where if you get seen yeah. in that game, like you're, you're gonna dead. die. Yeah, so, someone's gonna yeah. shoot you and kill you, or you're going to go to the next map. The way that I perceived this game really changed as I played it, because I went into it thinking that it just was a stealth game, but like right off the bat, from the beginning of the tutorial, you learn that it's not like that. Which eventually leads to you just uh, not caring if you get spotted for, like, a few minutes. Unless you're doing the uh, silent assassin route. I would say it's a sandbox, right? It lets you do 
you know, whatever you want for the most part. It, it tells you like, all right, here's the problem. We got these guys. People want them dead. Someone wants them dead. And you're the one that's going to kill them. Usually. And then it's like, we don't really care how you do it. Just go in and make sure when you leave this level that these guys are dead. Yeah. Uh, and, and then if you do it any other way than the way that they want you to do it, they're like, well, you suck at this game, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're like, all right, you can go in. You can freaking stealth your way through. I would recommend stealthing your way through. You could, um, you could stealth your way through, and maybe you could try stealthing your way through. And then they're like, well, I guess you could also shoot a whole bunch of people in the head. But then we're going to take a bunch of points away. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, for anyone you kill, it's going to make anything else you did look like garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, well, you played this level perfectly, but unfortunately, you did kill four people. So, And we only wanted two dead. I feel like the scoring was actually something that made the game a little difficult for me at first, in the first few missions. Because for a while, like, I was trying to, like, to get good scores. So, like, I was trying to make sure, you know, wasn't spotted at all, never went through a security camera, didn't get, uh, didn't kill anyone I wasn't supposed to. And, like, eventually after having to, like, keep all that in check so much, I got a little bored of it. So then I just stopped paying attention to the scoring. And, like, I wasn't just, like, going around, like, killing everybody and making everyone see what I was trying to do, but... For me, at least, forgetting about the scoring system made it a lot more fun. I enjoyed going for, like, the high scores, personally. Like, I I like trying to be as stealthy as possible and to make it out of every level without getting detected by, like, a person or a camera. To the point where, like, I went into the settings and I made changes. You can toggle it so there's, like, an icon that'll appear and let you know if you're still on track for Silent Assassin or not. Um, and I turned that on, and then I put a timer on at the top of the screen, so I can see, like, how long I've been spending on every level. Uh, and the timer may be not as good of an idea, but I, I did really, like, knowing, like, how I was doing in a level, and having, like, something there to show me. And then at the end of the level, it was really satisfying, because if you get Silent Assassin, you're basically guaranteed to get five stars. I think for me... At first, I really liked the idea of going for those high-level stuff. I think one of the problems that I had was that the game plays well enough as far as, you know, like, navigating the levels and using the tools at your disposal, but there's still, like, a rigidness to the way the game feels that, I don't know, that sort of pushed me away from going for some of the really, you know, precise ways of handling levels. Mm-hmm. Not to say it hurts the game overall, because I still had more fun with it when I was just doing crazy stuff. Like, like in the beginning of the game, if I had like a guard between me and my target, I was, you know, throwing a coin or a random object or something to draw that guard away. Whereas by the end, if I needed a distraction, I was doing things like dropping chandeliers on 20 civilians. <laughs> and like I, I had more fun with it when I kind of let go and just did some crazy stuff. And I didn't score very well on any of them, but I, it was fun. <laughs> we, we've sort of laid out a little bit about what Hitman is and how it works and stuff. I personally only played hitman one and one mission of hitman two so i know i can't really speak to this as well as the two of you 
But uh, what were some favorite maps from across all three of the games? I still, I still think so far, I really like the first mission of Hitman 1 the best. I feel like it's just, it's a very good introduction to the game. Like, it gives you many different options of how to go about it. Like, I think, I think it has like eight mission stories in it. Yeah, the uh, first one gives you a lot of stuff you can do. Yeah, yeah. Even some of the ones later, like the uh, the Dartmoor mission from Hitman Three, that one only has three story missions, uh, three mission stories in it. Well, I think that one, one of the mission stories is just incredibly long. You know, like one of them is just take a photo. <laughs> well, one, so one let's the- sort of explain what those mission stories even are. So when you go into a level in Hitman. You're given a, a list of targets, generally two, um, and you're just told, kill these people and get out. And you're shown, you know, you have like a basically a sixth sense that lets you sort of see wherever they are, even if, you know, there's a wall between you. And, uh, you know, you can make it as simple as just going right up to them, shooting them and getting out of there. Um, and sometimes that's even a pretty fast way to do it. But there are what are called mission stories, which are basically things you can do to help characters out or conversations you can listen in on or just random activities you can do to sort of help you learn about the level and the layout and what the character, like what your target's intentions are. And if you follow all of these, you get a pretty broad understanding of where everything is, how everything works. They can help you to line up some of the more interesting and more creative ways to finish off your targets. Basically, they just there are things you can do that are not just kill the target that will help you sort of learn how to better kill the target. Yeah, uh, the way I see it, like the mission stories are really kind of a, a primer. Like you play through each level the first time. Generally, you're going to follow mission stories just to get to your target and kill them and get out. And then it's, you know, as you play through all these mission stories, you learn like, oh, well, the target does this, and then they do this, and then they do this. And it's like, but both targets are here at this time. And if you follow like part of one mission story and part of another at the same time, you can get like an intersection and then you can shoot a chandelier and kill both targets without anyone noticing. Like, it's like a fun way to like teach you the mission and what's going to happen. Some of the mission stories are also just like, pretty simple like in the first one one of the mission stories is just drop this chandelier like that's it some of it is some of it is just to teach you like what you could do yeah like they are just to show off mechanics of the game which there are a lot and you can interact with the world in dozens and dozens and dozens of ways you wouldn't think of on your own or at least i wouldn't have thought of on my own so i really appreciated the the mission stories i thought that Really, without those, this game probably wouldn't have enough content to keep me interested. But I thought those were, for the most part, pretty cool. Yeah, I would feel aimless. Like, and there is a mission later on in uh, in Hitman Three. It's called uh, Apex Predator. So there's there's no mission stories because at that point in the story, you don't have a handler. It's literally just he's going in, he's trying to meet up with somebody, and he finds out that there are. 10 targets in the mission 10 like 10 other hitmen that are all looking for him essentially and in that mission 
your job is to find and kill any five of those ten. That mission feels a little aimless because it is just a lot of following people around and hoping that they'll isolate themselves. And I mean, obviously you can you can throw stuff around and take people out to try to help them along the way, but without mission stories, it's really hard to like get into a group with a mission and figure out what everyone's going to do. So the challenge on that mission, I mean, if you want to get better at it, is more just to figure out like, okay, well, who are the fastest five people to kill and what's the easiest way to take out as many of them as possible at once? I just really appreciate the fact that there's a lot of diversity in, you know, like your goal is always simple, kill some guys. But like, there's a lot of diversity in the type of people you're going after and the locations you're going after them in and what tools you have at your disposal. I mean, even just in the first game, I mean, you still, you start in Paris, France, which is this beautiful, you know, massive, you know, mansion and there's tons of stuff to find. And then you, you know, later on you're going to like a small town in Colorado and like, you know, big open spaces and you have like barns and tents and stuff. And like, you know, it's a totally different thing, but it's still, you know, it still gives you a ton of stuff to explore, a ton of items at your disposal, creative ways to, to solve problems. Like there is a lot on display here that I think is a real, real testament to how good the level design altogether is. And I, I think that the sameness they definitely get away from, especially in Hitman 2. I, I think Hitman 2 has the best levels out of the trilogy because, like, they're so different from each other and it really nails, like, having a lot of different things that you can do in each level to take out your targets. And everything is, like, pretty unique. Uh, and, and then on top of that, I think, like, the story and, like, the interactions between the targets are a lot more interesting in Hitman 2. Because, um, like... Miami, you have two targets. There's the CEO of like some major tech corporation and his daughter, who is a race car driver. And like, there's a million different ways that you can handle that situation. You can wait for the race to end and just like blow up the daughter on the podium and then go seek out the father separately. Or you can, like, trick the father to have someone install a bomb on her car or something like that and then have him kill his daughter and then you can just push him off of, like, a balcony or something like that while he's feeling sad. And then you have other missions, like Whittleton Creek, which is, um, it's, like, a pretty stereotypical 50s, like, suburb, I I think is the idea, where, like, it's just a normal small town essentially and like that the, the the sides of the roads are just like lined with houses and every house has like something going on in it there, there you got you <laughs> yeah. two targets on that one and then like in the middle of the map there's a big uh i don't know what word to use like a, a garden party i guess yeah <laughs> and at, at some points like maybe one of the target goes over to the garden party or one of the targets like is bedridden and never leaves his house. So you have to find a way to like get into his house or in other, maybe you find a way to get someone else to kill him. So you don't even have to enter his house. <laughs> and then my favorite level though, I gotta say is probably the Isle of uh, scale or something like that. I don't know how to pronounce it, but you're basically exploring like an ancient uh, Knights Templar fort that's been taken over by 
I don't know exactly how to describe them. They're kind of like a cult of rich people that plan to like take over the world if it ends, essentially. <laughs> and it's just really cool because like a lot of the mission is infiltrating the cult and, you know, playing at different members of the cult in order to take down your target, like the guy that's in head of uh, the head of it. And at the same time, you have this, uh, you have another target on the mission that you don't want to kill. And two of your targets on that mission have a kill switch. So, like, the whole reason you're there and the whole reason you're taking out those targets is just so they don't kill the guy that you're actually there for. You know, they, they never get away from this like, concept of, like, yeah, you're just a hitman, you're there to kill people. But they got creative with, like, what the extent of a hitman could be used for and the ways that you as a player could do that but still have that extra... I don't know, like that extra spice <laughs> to what you're doing where it doesn't feel like you're just going through the motions. You know, you're not just trying to find the best route, you know, to and from your targets. There's there's more to it. And I think that, you know, for, at least from what I've seen, every time they do that, they've done it fairly successfully. Yeah, every mission is super unique and it, it doesn't feel like, at least to me, it didn't get samey. Uh, sometimes the gameplay felt a little samey, but it never felt like, story-wise that I was just going through the motions or anything like that. Because for every, like, high-flying mission where you're you're infiltrating a cult's secret, uh, secret base, there's another mission where you're robbing a bank. There's a lot going on for Mr. 47. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to start with you on this one, Jackson. What was your favorite unique way to kill someone? Because it throws some interesting ones out for a lot of the targets. I like the, uh, on, I think the second mission of Hitman 1, uh, there is, like, a big mansion with, not a golf course, but, like, a little, like, just, like, putting range <laughs> in the courtyard, and one of the targets I need to kill will go down there every now and then, and there is an explosive golf ball that you can find around the map, you can put it in the golf ball basket there, and then he'll hit it, um... I think you can kind of guess what happens with that. Also, in that same mission, you can go into the attic and throw propane tanks down the fire, uh, the, the, the chimneys. It's a good way to take out a lot of people accidentally if you weren't paying attention to who all was in that room. I hear what you're saying, and I think those are lame as hell. So instead, <laughs> I raise you one in one of the later missions in Hitman 3 where you get a guy's wife to kill him instead. Nice. Nice. That's the good stuff. There's another good one where this dude's at like an art installation. Basically, like there's a huge issue with the installation where it's not like blocking the sun properly. Um, and basically, you just turn it on. Uh, so when the guy goes to go look at it, he basically gets fried like with like a giant magnifying glass. That's pretty good too. It's in Dubai. Now, I'll admit, my favorite one that I did is pretty dark. And I did have to like look up a guide on everything I needed to do to make this one happen because I had heard about it beforehand. But uh, there is a point where there is a, one of your targets is having a heart transplant <laughs> and you can just straight up sabotage the heart that's going to be going into his body, which like, you don't want to think about that one too much. 
but from a like design cr- like creative standpoint they knocked it out of the park on that one is it the one where you just pick up the heart and throw it in a trash can because i think that one's very funny too the easiest way to take care of it is just you pick it up and you throw it in the trash can and there's a really satisfying cutscene where he, he throws it into the trash can and like blood splatters on the wall and then you just walk away <laughs> what a game now I think is a good time for us to finally address the elephant in the room. Uh, yes, games are too violent, and they do cause real-world violence. Yeah, after playing this game, I went and decided to sabotage a heart surgery. This game's wild, y'all. I did give Jackson a list of levels to play. And the, the one that he mentioned, uh, Dartmoor, in England, is pretty good. Where the whole basis of the level is that your target has faked her own death. Um, and like is making her family throw a a fake funeral but then the night before she revealed to her family that she was like still alive uh, her brother kills himself or you think that he kills himself and the whole mission is just a murder mystery to figure out who did it it's it's a who it's a whodunit love me a whodunit instead of like spending most of the mission hiding and stuff like that like you're wandering around from room to room looking for clues and interrogating all the different suspects and then at the end of the level you get to choose who you're going to uh point the blame at basically like you can tell her that it was a suicide or you can tell her like who you think killed her or killed her brother it's just a really interesting level I did that mission completely differently, though. Uh, I didn't do any of the murder mystery stuff. <laughs> I am going to go back and do all that. But uh, the way I did it was one of the mission stories is leading the target to a, a, a photo op. Yeah. And you can kill her then by electrocuting her. So I did that. And then I just ran around the house trying to find there's a file you have to get. Found that pretty easily. <laughs> And then I just left. And I, I told Jackson several times to play that level. And he thought that's what I meant, apparently. He, he, <laughs> he was like, well, there's all this setup with a, this murder mystery thing, but he clearly just wanted me to kill them with the camera. That's why he kept recommending I play this level. So we've got through the creative kills. What are the best creative weapons? Because, boy howdy, I sure do love throwing uh, fire extinguishers at people. It's got to be the coconut. <laughs> I just like chucking a coconut at someone's head. I just think it's funny. Yeah. I I like a lot of the the non-lethal ones. You can throw like ducks at people's heads. You can Fish. throw explosives at people's heads. Non-lethally. Yeah. You just got to pick it up after. Yeah. You can hit people in the face with a fish. It's good stuff. Good stuff. The famous briefcase. <laughs> The homing briefcase. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys do like any of the escalations or anything like that? No. I never did any of them, but I did watch you play that one on stream. Yeah. Basically, instead of the normal contracts where it's, you know, you can kill any person in any disguise with any weapons, like the escalations add extra rules on top of that that make things like mm-hmm. more difficult or just more specific. And like, a lot of them are just like, you have to kill this person while wearing this disguise with this weapon. Some of them are just like, I don't know. Most of the interesting ones just give you like a really specific weapon 
to use. And it's something weird where if you're seen with the weapon, like you'll immediately be seen. Um, there is a pretty good one where you're a clown and <laughs> you have to kill everyone with a baseball bat. Uh, and then on top of that, as you get further into the escalation, you have to do stuff like shoot balloons. The balloons are, it's in the Paris level, like the first one. So like there's people all over the place and you, it's really hard to find a good time to like be able to shoot a balloon. <laughs> And also, anytime you try to shoot the balloon, you uh, you drop your baseball bat. So it turns into a whole thing, but it, it was pretty fun. And then you get a clown suit when you finish it. You can be a clown whenever you want. And then the, the one that I did on the stream, or I don't think it was an escalation, uh, but I, I did a mission where it's basically like Home Alone. And this was also in Paris. A lot of the good missions are in Paris for some reason. There are two thieves in the level who are going around and stealing Christmas presents. Uh, and they're based on, like, the wet bandits from Home Alone. And you just mm. want to go around and kill both of them before they get all the presents and leave. Hmm. And when you finish it, you get a Santa Claus outfit. <laughs> yeah. Something that I kind of noticed with this game the more that I played it was that I didn't necessarily like it for the reasons that I think, like, the developers kind of made it, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, clearly they made it to be whatever you want it to be, which is great. But I kind of like the game more when I played it something, you know, more like something stupid like Goat Simulator where you're just trying to, like, cause as much chaos as possible. I like when I was doing dumb things like wearing weird suits and knocking over heavy things and just doing whatever I could to scare away as many people as possible. That was when I enjoyed the game the most. And the fact that I could do that stuff on the path to actually achieving the goal was, was pretty good. I feel like some of that's kind of, kind of built in to be fun. Like, I mean, I, I think that the developers wouldn't have included it if they didn't think it was funny, at least, you know? Sure, sure. I think with sandboxes, it's probably hard to hit, like, a good, good middle ground between, like, appealing to people that just want to do ridiculous stuff and people that, like, want to get super into it and take everything really seriously. But I, sure. I think Hitman hits, like, a really good good compromise on that. In Hitman, you got two kinds of people. There are the sheep, the sheeple, and the lions, all right? And Agent 47 is a lion. He's on that Sigma male grind set. He's working hard, 25-8, yeah. you know? Like, not a minute goes by that 47 isn't grinding. If you had to offer Agent 47 a billion dollars right now, or... $10 per kill for the rest of his life, he would take the second one and do it for free because he stays on that grind. I could definitely see there being a version of this type of game, but it's more interconnected. Like the missions are more interconnected. Like, I don't know. I don't want to say open world because I feel like that has a lot of baggage with it. But like, I could definitely see there being a game where like you have like 20 targets at the same time on like a much 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 bigger map than we've seen so far and you can kind of you know travel between different areas at will whether it's actually like in game or just through menus and stuff but like i could definitely see a version of this that's very very similar to what it is now just with a little more interconnectedness or maybe just more options about like the order you do things extending more than just you you know when you kill one of your two targets in that area to like actually like taking on different missions at different times and 
because of that, the targets, you know, the targets might move between maps as well. And like, I could definitely see there, there being ways to layer in more complexity and to make it bigger. But I think as far as the basic formula goes, it pretty well knocks it out of the park from start to finish. So like, I don't think they really have to do much to keep this alive for a, a very long time. <laughs> I got a got a hard disagree. I think the map sizes in this game, some of them are already like pushing it of being a little too large and a little too empty sometimes. And I think like making a switch to open world, you would get something that it's not as alive, right? Right. No, I think like, that definitely makes sense. I think a big part of the Hitman uh, formula as well is like the resetting sandbox. So, like, every time you play it, everyone except you does the same things, generally. I mean, like, there's a little RNG with certain things, like how long it takes people to to act or how long they continue doing one action before they move on to the next. But, like, for the most part, the only major changing thing is you. And I, I think that's, like, a big part of it because, like, it's about learning what everyone else is going to do and trying to come up with like the perfect set of actions to make sure that you can take down your target with as little collateral damage as possible, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, like, I don't think that's like what everybody loves about it, but I, I, I feel like that's a big part of the game that it, it would really suck to take away, you know? I think that there are ways with increasing technology and, you know, with the su- success of these games, I'm sure there's only going to be more and more money going into future ones. Like there are ways that they can you know, fix some stuff like that or improve things like that or expand upon stuff like that without hurting that feel. But that's something that is so specific to the design process that I couldn't even begin to comment on, like what I would expect for the future there. I'm really excited to see like where this goes, though. I've really enjoyed my time with it. I haven't been able to play it as much as I would have liked in the weeks leading up to this, just because I've been out of town for the majority of the last two weeks. Um but I'm still definitely digging into it. I think I'm going to adapt, adopt like a uh, one level a day type of situation for a while, just so that I know I'm giving each one like at least a couple of hours to like really feel it out. Because I think that every level has so much cool stuff to find in it if you give it enough time. It's weird because like I've definitely put a lot of time into this game over the past two or three weeks since we started like our review cycle for it, but like. And, like, I've had fun with it, and I've had my thoughts on it, but, like, I I don't know, I just, I feel like I haven't, like, connected much with it or anything. I like referring to it as the review cycle, because that implies we waited five years for this. <laughs> or six. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else to, to call that time span. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, I definitely like it, I just, I never really, like, I never hit that point where we connected or anything. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's not necessarily going to be everyone's cup of tea. I mean, what do you not like about it? You know, like... I mean, it's not that there's anything I don't like about it. Like, I enjoy it, but, like, I can never... I can never get myself to sit down to play it for more than, like, 30 minutes at a time. I feel like 30 minutes is, like, a good amount of time. You know, like, that's enough time to get most of the way through, you know, most levels. Like, I sat down to do Dartmoor earlier today before we recorded and like i got through it uh well okay i did not get through it the first time i just killed the target and then got killed um but and then i went through it a second time and not even like halfway through that second time i was already just like i was already wanting to turn it off 
I feel like replaying levels does kind of get boring. That was part of the reason why I had to stop going for the mastery ranks. It wasn't just like running out of time. Like it was, it stopped being as fun. Like I really enjoyed playing through Paris 20 times. And I would, I would even say I enjoyed playing through like Sapienza 20 times. I mean, I don't know how many times I've played, probably fewer than 20, but like you get the idea. But by the time I was on like the third or fourth missions, I, it, this kind of started getting old to do the same thing over and over. Yeah, that's that's how it was for me. I feel like it just took a greater impact on me than it did for you. Because <laughs> you, you, you know, finished all three games and I played the first three missions of Hitman 1, the first mission of Hitman 2, and then a random mission of Hitman 3. <laughs> like I said, I don't think it's a bad game by any means. I think it's just, it's not my type of thing. Usually with games, I'm not a huge fan of going through and, you know, doing the same sort of stuff over and over again. That's why I've never been a big fan of uh, roguelikes or anything. This game does have sort of a roguelike vibe to it, in a sense. Like, you're you're repeating the same thing, trying to do it better, and then you're getting, like, small things to improve the process as you go. Like, it definitely has that kind of vibe, but it's also unique in basically every map. It has distinct levels, and each one basically has its own separate progression, which is right, which is very much its own thing. I do wish the progression, I wish it did a little bit more, because like it's very useful stuff, like mechanically, but it's not necessarily stuff that's gonna like make it a lot more fun. That's pretty much my only complaint. There's not really too much point to unlocking a second silenced sniper rifle because it's not gonna fundamentally change how you play in any way. But I still have four of them for some reason. And every time I unlock a new one, like it's nothing, nothing's changing at all. And it, it's just kind of lame. I feel like a lot of the guns are really samey. A lot of the items are really samey. I mean, basically anything you can throw, like every non-lethal or lethal throwable item is exactly the same functionally. It's always just something that you can either throw at somebody or hit them in the back of the head with. And... There's no fundamental difference between the coconut and the brick, (laughs) right? Amen. It just kind of feels like there should be a little bit more of that. So I guess to go back to your question from earlier, something that I would like to see in the future is just like more item variety. Well, I feel like this conversation about Hitman has already gone all kinds of random directions. So I think that that means it's time to pull the plug. Jackson, what is something else that you've been into? Well, not really something I've been into recently. Good start. (laughs) But something that has happened recently. Yesterday was the Marvel panel at Comic-Con. And oh boy, is there a bunch of stuff I'm excited for. (laughs) A lot of it was just like saying again, like some of the stuff we've already heard, like Loki season two and the Agatha show, which I have no interest in, but I mean, I still hope it's good, but I don't have any interest in that at all. But there were like still some big surprises in there too. We're getting a daredevil show again. Oh yeah. I don't know if you guys heard this or not. The daredevil show is going to be 18 episodes. (laughs) They didn't outright say there will be a second season, but the way they talked about it makes it seem like there will be interesting there was a a a few things that we already knew about that uh had trailers that we sadly did not get to see secret invasion 
Ammon and the Wasp, Quantumania, Garden of the Galaxy Volume 3. All of those had, like, short teasers, but they didn't release them to the public, sadly. They did release the trailer for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and uh, that looks really good. That definitely has me a lot yeah. more excited for that movie than than I was before. I am very excited for that now. Like, I mean, I wasn't, like, I wasn't, like, not excited at all before the trailer, but, like, didn't really have anything to, I didn't know what to expect from it. Pretty excited for that, though, that now. <laughs> um, it also showed that someone else, we don't know who, but someone is taking up the Black Panther mantle, like, in proper, and... I feel like that's going to be a hotly discussed topic on social media for a little while here. I think there's a lot of good options for that. I think all the characters in Black Panther are all really good options to take up the mantle. Uh, But then we also got some release dates for some other things we've heard about, like Blade. That's coming in less than two years. I heard Daredevil's going to be in She-Hulk, and he's going to have his yellow costume. Yeah, in the the trailer for She-Hulk, which I wasn't very excited for when they released the first trailer, but they released a new one yesterday, and I'm a lot more excited for it. Uh, A lot of that is because there is a very small clip at the very end of the trailer where Daredevil shows up, and he's got the red and yellow costume. Uh, New Captain America officially got announced. Again, like less than two years for that. Uh, Thunderbolts, which there wasn't like leaks or anything for that one, but it was pretty obvious that was coming. Uh, then most importantly, they revealed the next two Avengers movies, which are, this is the weirdest part of all the news to me, because both of these movies are coming out in the same year. One's coming out in May 2025, one's coming out in November 2025. That just seems like too much to me. And those release dates will not change. Oh yeah, they. I'm sure they'll change, especially with you know, the COVID. It's coming back, y'all. Yeah. COVID like it, two. It it doesn't matter that much that it's two Avengers movies. I, I mean, I feel like Avengers is kind of the big property of the MCU, anyways. Yeah. I mean, does anyone really care that much about anything other than Avengers, Black Panther, and Spider Man? That's hey, fair. We're getting Fantastic Four eventually they still haven't even said who's going to be in that movie (laughs) like i i am excited for it but like i there's no information about it other than a release date that 100 percent will not be the release date i thought for sure we were going to see the director and the cast at least as part of the reveal or at least like one character like show us who's going to be the new herbie you can, <laughs> yeah, that's the one we're all waiting they, for. They can keep the they can keep the Fantastic Four secret. Just show me who's gonna be Herbie and show me who's gonna be Doctor Doom. But yeah, a lot of lot of Marvel stuff. Pretty excited for all this. Uh, they also did um, DC did their thing. They had uh, two trailers for movies that we already knew were coming. <laughs> that's all keep, they had. They said they're gonna keep doing DCs. Because zombies are the new hit thing still. The year is 2006. Yeah. (laughs) I will say, though, uh, trailer for Shazam 2 looked good. The first one was pretty good, so... Got got hopes for the second one. (laughs) Not high hopes, just hopes. I I want another scene just like the one from Shazam 1, where Superman walks in from the the neck down and then sits at the table. (laughs) But you know it was Henry Cavill, like, for real. It had to be. They would never just have someone else do that. 
Well, they only showed him from the neck down out of respect. Because he had a mustache. But anyways, yeah, that's all the Marvel news that I've been thinking about for the 12 hours. Honestly, the only Marvel news I care all that much about X-Men, and we didn't get any X-Men. We didn't get any X-Men stuff. There was X-Men 97. And we already knew that was coming. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess what I mean to say is, like, there were two things that I really wanted to see, and that was Fantastic Four and the X-Men. And we got a release date for one and nothing for the other. But other than Marvel news, Jason, what have you been into? Um, started watching a couple of the shows on Apple TV Plus or whatever it's called. And I, honestly, I do have to say that the catalog is kind of samey. It's really hard to pick something out other than Ted Lasso. Because, like, almost everything on there is comedic actors doing dramas. <laughs> and, like, I mean, everyone knows that it's a lot easier for a comedic actor to do a drama than a dramatic actor to do a comedy. But I just prefer watching comedies generally. So it is a little annoying whenever I'm kind of looking through the shows on there and I'm like, all right, I want to find a new comedy. And then I'm like, oh, this show stars Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd. And then it's a drama. (laughs) Or it's like, this this show stars Steve Carell and, and Jennifer Aniston. It's a drama. Or this show with Adam Scott also a drama i do want to watch severance i've heard very good things about that yeah that was kind of the big thing that i started watching with severance and i I really enjoyed it so far i mean i don't know how much you guys have seen or know about it but basically it's like takes place in a dystopian time it's like kind of the future but kind of the past and kind of right now it's very vague basically some people have gotten a chip implanted in their brain so they separate their memories so like there's an entirely separate set of memories for when they're at work versus not at work and basically what, what ends up happening is like when they're at work like they're completely different people and they have no way of communicating with the outside world and like it's kind of implied there's like shady stuff going on i'm not super far into it so i don't really know exactly what's going on but i'm really enjoying it so far it's really interesting Adam Scott's good in it. Um, other than that, started watching the the morning show, which is also pretty good. Stars Jennifer Aniston, Steve Carell, and it's basically a a drama that kind of goes over what happened. It, it's loosely based on what happened with Matt Lauer and the Today Show, where Steve Carell essentially plays Matt Lauer. <laughs> pretty good. It's mostly it's kind of split into like a couple storylines, but like the main storyline is how the network and how Jennifer Aniston's character, who was, like, his co-host on their morning show, uh, like, her trying to get more power and stuff like that at the station, and it, it's kind of hard to get into. I, I would just recommend you guys watch it. All the, like, big Apple TV shows I've heard of, like, all seem pretty good, but I haven't watched many. I've watched Ted Lasso, which is excellent, mythic quest which the first half of each season is like almost bad but not quite uh then the second half of each season is pretty good (laughs) i really liked that episode with uh jake johnson and uh yeah season two of mythic quest had an episode like that where like focused on like of like character that wasn't in the show before right in the middle of the season and then every single episode after that was like really good while all the episodes before that were like just bearable (laughs) 
Um, other than that, there's also After Party, which is... I never finished it, but I watched, like, half of it, and it was really good. Because it's from uh, Lord Miller Productions. I'll probably check that out at some point. It's got uh, it's got Sonic Man in it. I can't remember his name. Um, ben Schwartz. Yeah, Ben Schwartz. It's got a pretty good cast. I can't remember most of them, though, because I haven't watched any of it, like, since the first episode aired. <laughs> you checked out any of those shows yet, Jordan? He watches Ted Lasso, and then he's like, I'm just going to let my Apple TV subscription lapse. Basically, yeah. I actually rewatched Ted Lasso a couple weeks ago, and boy howdy, that show was fantastic. I actually yeah. just started rewatching it a few days ago. Maybe it is just, like I said, I, I generally prefer comedies over dramas, but um, I, I still personally feel like uh, Ted Lasso is better than anything else I've seen on Apple TV. It's better than anything else I've seen in general. Ted Lasso is probably my favorite show that's still like airing today. Like it is, it is so good. It's so funny. Jordan, what have you been into? Well, like I said before, I, I spent the majority of the last two weeks out of town, so I uh, didn't get to play a ton of, uh, you know, Hitman. But I did break out the Switch since that has a lot more games that the people that were traveling with me could also play, and we played a ton of Mario Golf Super Rush, and. That game is a lot better than I gave it credit for before. When you're playing that game with other people that are like roughly your skill level and that take it as seriously as you do, it can be really, really great. It was the first time I played a lot of the uh, multiplayer modes that I didn't necessarily touch when we first talked about it. Um, plus, they've just added a ton of content since the since the initial launch, and it's just it's really great. I had a lot of issues with the sort of chaotic nature of the mechanical changes from regular golf games, but I think when you're playing it with friends, you know, I think it actually adds a lot that there's that level you can't really control. It might take away from the game at like the highest level, you know, like the people that are playing at the highest level, but generally speaking, I think it kept it, it, it kept it just chaotic enough that it was still fun kind of like the items in mario kart like you know they can make it to where people that wouldn't always win just based on skill still have a chance and i think that was something that actually adds to the game a ton um i also tried out a lot more of the modes that require actually running to the ball than i played initially and a lot of the mechanics they implemented for the way that you traverse the greens and stuff is actually very cool uh, I just had a really good time with it. I, I think that, you know, they've added a lot. There was a lot of stuff I didn't necessarily give enough time to originally. It's just, I don't know. I had a lot of fun with it, like a lot more than I thought I would. So if you haven't played it since launch and you have people to play it with, I definitely recommend diving back into it. And I really, really hope that we see similar levels of attention given to Mario Strikers because that game, that game severely disappointed me. Mario Golf was just fine at launch, but Mario Strikers didn't e couldn't even say that much. Like it was it was just bad. <laughs> so I hope it gets as much DLC and as much extra content as Mario Golf Super Rush did. We should do a stream of something of, of a Mario Golf at some point. I think that'd be a good one to dig back into. It's a good game. A lot of cool stuff to show off. A lot of the new courses are very visually interesting too. Um, there's one that's all based, like, it has, like, 
massive statues of the magic koopas and stuff and it has sort of like a magical vibe to it which is kind of cool um it also has like a lot of waterfalls and stuff and then there's like one course where the greens are actually shaped like the bodies of the characters so like hole one just is mario (laughs) um which is really cool and also they're like separate islands so when you're doing the mode where you have to run to your ball to take your next shot you have to like bounce on clouds and fall long distances sometimes to get to it which is really interesting there's a lot of cool stuff there for sure like they have they have invested an amount into this game that very few games would do for free dlc like a lot of these courses are big enough and bold enough that i've definitely like other studios would have charged more for like charged more money for not to say Nintendo had enough content in the beginning where we can just say that they are just being frugal, but, you know. I don't like that Nintendo's kind of moved to this whole post-launch post content model, I guess. Yeah. I don't really know exactly yeah. how to describe it, because, I mean, it's not like they're charging money for it. But right. it's just really annoying that they keep releasing games. And, I mean, I guess the only big ones that I have to point at are, like, this Mario Strikers and like Nintendo Switch Sports, where like there's just not a lot of content. <laughs> yeah. When it launches, and they they add more over time and make it like a better game. Hard to say if they'll do that for Mario Strikers, but they did it yeah. for Mario Golf. You have to assume. I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt at least, but it's just like these games aren't worth buying at launch. And. It's crappy because it puts the responsibility on the consumer to wait. But at the same time, you're going to have all of social media blowing up on that game the minute it launches. And, like, you could wait and see reviews and people are like, there's not enough there. And, like, that sucks. And you just wait. But, like, Mario Strikers got universally great reviews. But if you list, if you read like any fan feedback on this game on basically any site, everyone is uh, disappointed with it. Maybe not necessarily for the gameplay itself, but for the just there is so little content here. Well, at launch there was only like four. There were five tournaments. Yeah, and they're all the same. They're just a regular soccer game, which like maybe for the GameCube era was fine, but that that's not enough now. And they are putting so much emphasis into their online options. Like, everything about Mario Strikers is built around the online. But even still, there's not much online content. The actual progression loop of getting better and playing its better players is crappy. And their online services just suck. Like, it is a service you have to pay for. Yeah, they refuse to put money into their online. But then they release all of these games that are so, like, highly reliant on it. Who was going to play Switch Sports with randoms online? Who would prefer to play Switch Sports with randoms online versus their friends in the same room as them? It's like they didn't get what worked about Wii Sports. It's like it was the perfect game to just like get all of your friends around the same Wii and play together. And Switch Sports has that DNA. They emphasize the wrong things, but like it's still fun to just pick up and play but it's nowhere near as good as it should have been. And all the things they have changed or added since the original Wii Sports were all of the wrong things. Yeah, it, it's like, in its DNA, Switch Sports is the exact same as Wii Sports. It doesn't have, you know, the, the same ones. And I I really don't think it's even as good of a game as... Like, I, I think Wii Sports Resort is just, in every way, better than Switch Sports. <laughs> 
for sure for sure um not not least of all just because it had that that incredible uh pilot wings i would say for all intents and purposes Wii Sports Resort is better than the original Wii Sports. Like, it is genuinely more fun. Really, I think the only thing that stopped it from being as big of a hit as Wii Sports is the fact that it wasn't a pack-in game and it required a special peripheral. Like, I think without that, it would have been just as big or bigger than Wii Sports original. Yeah, but it's like, what gamers want out of a game, and what even, like, the casual audience wants out of a game, isn't the same as it was with the original Wii Sports launch. And yep. if you're playing solely, like, at home on the same TV, if you're not engaging with the online portion at all, it's just a worst packaged version of the same thing. Jackson, why are you mad at Nintendo? <laughs> uh, next question. <laughs> He's mad at Nintendo because Pokemon something. I don't know, I'm sure. Probably, yeah. When are we yeah. going to get another good Pokemon game? We just hey. did with Sword and Shield. We haven't had a good Pokemon game since, since the last Pokemon game. Pokemon Rangers. <laughs> yeah, that was the one. We haven't we haven't had a good Pokemon game since Legends Arceus, which albeit was only a couple months ago, but still. Uh, I'm really looking forward to to Scarlet and Violet. I mean, it could be absolute garbage. Wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. But everything I've seen looks kind of cool. Which one's the future one? Violet. That's the one I I'm going to play. So you guys should just both get the other one. <laughs> okay. I need you guys both to get the same one because you don't play the same way I do. And I need some way nah. to guarantee that I'll be able to complete the Pokedex. <sighs> okay. Well, I think that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you would like to reach out to us. There's a bunch of ways you can do that. On Twitter, at TBMcast. On Instagram, at Totally Biased Media. You can send an email with suggestions for the show, your reviews of recent release games, things we things you'd like for us to talk about. Anything you want to tell us, you can send it to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. We stream on Twitch at least every other week. We've been upping that some the last little bit. We're hoping to continue doing that. Uh, that is twitch.tv slash totallybiasedmedia. Uh, hit us up with the like and subscribe or whatever the Twitch equivalent of that is. I'm very ignorant about the process. <laughs> Give us the bits. We need yeah. the bits. We I have zero what, bits. I don't know what bits do, but we have zero, and I think I want some. <laughs> Insert crying Megamind meme. No bits? <laughs> no bits. <laughs> Anyway, that, that joke is going to age really well. If somebody listens to this episode of the podcast in like uh, when it comes out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we well, at Totally Biased Media want to make sure that any jokes we make are already out of date by the time the episode <laughs> goes live. Yeah. Uh, we do it well. We do it well. But for the Totally Biased Media podcast... I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. You just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.